Hello and welcome to Buildings of Tomorrow, a very special episode of Buildings of Tomorrow. I'm joined today by three experts to talk about artificial intelligence. Not so much the technical aspect, we want to talk about how do we build trust in artificial intelligence and why is it so important for us to realize the real value of this technology in the future. I'm joined today to the left of me, Marissa Chop from Hi. Skip, which is a cybersecurity uh, company, but also she's the Swiss ambassador for women in AI. And next to her is Francisca Dola, an innovation manager, Siemens Smart Infrastructure. And at the end here, we have Uli Waltener, who comes to us from Munich. He yep. is the technology manager at the AI labs at Siemens. So thank you all very much for joining us. Thanks. Artificial intelligence. This is a huge topic. This is something that we hear a lot about. This has many different meanings and applications. Let's start at the very beginning. If you could all give me just a very quick insight into what you define artificial intelligence as. Mm -hmm. Well, usually I kind of quote the researchers like Russell and Norvig or so when I define AI, but I really recently I liked uh, Professor Floridi's uh, definition. He said that we can't really define AI, but uh, you will know it's AI when you see it. So I thought that was kind of fun. I like it. Francisca? So for me, I like to put AI into the context of humans. And at that, for me, it's about learning about the learning process. Because for me, it's about really a learning system that acts intelligently and independently. That's what I would yeah. say about that. Um, mimic human cognition process that's maybe the, the official term i like maybe if i go with, i go with the joshua um which says like intelligence is about making models models explain some kind of dynamics mm -hmm. um the smartness of intelligence comes so we make it goal directed do something move something okay. recognize something and since we always see the human as a reference plane for AI or for at least for intelligence, yeah. we ma make it goal-directed computation models of human cognitive processes. Okay, beautiful. I like that. All three very different definitions, but I think all together they build this story and also highlight to us why there's so many different things we have to talk about. Uh, Marissa, let's start with you. You spend a lot of time researching artificial intelligence or AI uh, and focusing around the trust aspect of this. Can you give us an insight into that approach? Yes. So originally when we started out, it was, uh, we were actually thinking about chatbots and digital systems as this is kind of the, the thing that people are most used to or exponated in, in their everyday lives. And we thought, uh, okay, so how can we, how can we make people use it? How can we, and, and we thought, okay, but somehow people don't trust them and are so, somehow skeptical about it. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we did is like, we create an intelligence test for digital systems to show them how smart they are or how good they are or what they can do. And, um, but still we found that it does not help. Still the market is not there and people are still very skeptical about it. So we were actually quite too fast and this happens a lot. So we stepped, uh, we really stepped back and asked ourselves, okay, we have to go back and really think about the concept of trust from the very basic beginning. What does trust mean? What definitions are there? And, and, and what does it mean in the context of usage? How do we need trust in order to use AI and make and use it to its full potential? Yeah. And, and you stepped on a, or you, you introduced a really important point there. For some people, artificial intelligence or AI is a, is this future. Thing. You know, like we people have watched movies or they assume that one day in, in the year 2080 we will have something. But 
but we use this all every day in many cases, don't we? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, in our phones, in our Netflix and YouTube, uh, all kinds of areas for, for sure, yeah. Beautiful. And Francisca, when we talk about trust, as Marissa was just bringing in, why is this so important for people in a day-to-day uh, aspect? I think trust is super important for people whenever it's about collaborating, and not just between people, but between people and systems. So I think whatever basis you need is really the aspect of trust. And I encountered it so often that people really feel like a slave towards technology, whereas in terms of I really want to humanize that. So what if we could really create outstanding experiences for people just because we hold ourselves to a certain standard when it comes to artificial intelligence, such as creating systems, right, where I do get recommendations and suggestions on how to move forward, but I actually do understand where those recommendations are coming from or creating systems that, right, are for me always accessible, but not always on. And I think it's very, very important to really find a fine line in that. Absolutely. And I have a question to that as well. We have a society already that has built trust with technology to a certain extent. Will this help when it comes to AI? We've already developed a strong relationship with technology. We use it every day. Our smartphones, our computers, uh, even in our car now are, are advancing you know, leaps and bounds every day. Do you think this will, say, grease the wheels or make it easier for us to find trust in a technology based on AI? I think it's, it's uh, based on the interaction that we have with smart applications. We're living in a, a data-driven society where algorithms put, uh, put a quite a, an emphasis in, in that. And sometimes in, if we interact with smart search machines, retrieval engines, audio re- recommendations or traffics, um, we have the feeling sometimes, oh, that understands me. Oh, that maybe knows me better than I thought. Yeah. Right? Oh, how scary is that? So be, being that transparent and that active and interacting and knowing about, okay, these, whatever, however these systems work, they gain something from my personal, personal level, my yeah. profiles, what I love, what I lo- dislike maybe, yeah. or what I would like to have or where, which position I want to have. And this demands then some blurriness and tr- leaps where we think like, do we trust this vendor actually? Do I want to have that of a technical system that close to me? Mm. It's, it's, it's a frightening assembly. Mm. And that's with the acceleration of, of the algorithms in our world playing that dominant role. Um, that demands quite some challenges. Maybe not as impactful as for youth, but for the elderly. Yeah. I'd really like to pick up on your point, Uli, because I think it really does depend on a lot on convenience, right? Am I used to something? Have I made experiences with it? How have they been? Um, and especially if a system, an app or a tool is creating value for me, um, I can start building trust along that journey. And I think that's super, super important when we talk about the adoption of any type of technology. Yeah, I mean, I think from from a psychological perspective, the the mechanisms of dealing with change are basically the same. So um, no matter if it's technology, if that's the introduction of e-commerce or whatever it was. Um, however, we, but, but the thing is, we don't have a lot of empirical da- data right now in mm. context in the context of AI for how, how do we actually cope with that. But um, so some suggest it's because of the, the pace of development that it's happening so fast that it's, it's much harder to adapt to these changes or trying to react on it. Some say the impact of AI is so huge that um, we are 
we don't know how to cope with that. And that's a difference to e-commerce or whatever it was. However, it, it's always kind of, you know, looking in the, in the, in the gl- how do you say? Uh, Snowball. The snowball. Like, you know, <laughs> you know how, how well are we humans at predicting? You know, yeah. we're trying to predict all these big changes, but um, we're our pre- level of prediction, we have made some really big errors, right? And so we don't know. And I think this and all these black box problems, they produce a lot of, lot of uncertainty. And uh, trust, basically, as you said, yes, it's that social glue that helps us to interact with each other. But the, the main reason why we need trust is that we have to cope with uncertainty. And this is why yeah. we need trust. Especially because we are, we are in a machine learning scenario, we're translating input into actions in the real world, mm-hmm. right? And we know that these systems have cost and benefits, and we know they have failure modes. We can measure that. Accuracy, false positive rates, yeah. true positive rates, true negative rates, so we can assess that. And we know that 100% in our world of fuzziness is is not, it's not, not a real thing. sometimes not, not doable, not yeah. capable. Mm. And so does these kinds of consequences then resonate our value systems, our emotions, our, our opinions, right? Yeah. And that's the challenge when then coping is like how trustfulness is a, a system where we know it has fellow modes. Mm. And I really like the, the point that you made there, and it's a topic that I've heard you speak about before, Marissa, as well, is... When we are confronted with this decision, when we recognize that we are, we're using a technology that has this ability, it's a, we either like it or we don't. Uh, but it's impossible or it's difficult for us to really make that decision if we don't know what our values are ourselves. Uh, and I think I've, asked, I've heard you ask that question. If you walked up to someone and, and asked them what are their values, this is a difficult question to answer. Mm-hmm. How, how difficult does that make us when we look from the technological point of view uh, what we're able to achieve, how can we understand or or think about the future? How can we improve our chance to understand how we'll react at that point in time? Hmm. That's a, I think it's a tough question. I need, I kind of need, can, can you repeat the la- can you repeat that? I, I, or can, can, can be a little bit more concrete? Uh, so I, mean, I really have to think about that a little. Definitely. So, so when, you're, when we're talking about trust, yeah. we're, we're talking about us believing that a certain technology with its capabilities fits within our, our realm of, of acceptance. Mm-hmm. We, we think that, yes, this, this still sits within in my band of what mm-hmm. I consider reasonable. Uh, it, it fits with my values. What it's trying to achieve is a positive. You know, and the value that Francisca talked about is, is good enough for me to accept this technology as part mm-hmm. of my day-to-day life. Everyone has different values, whether mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, this comes from their own personal views, uh, whether it comes from a culture or a religion or, or a race. Uh, how can we, as, a, as an industry, absorb this difference? Uh, or is this something that we just have to work on together? Yeah. <laughs> you Basically, I think you kind of answered it. I think... Um, what we are aiming at is some sort of bottom-up approach, some participative approach where we all have to think about, you know, what, what are we going to do? Why are we doing this? What is the reason for it? How does it impact us? And how do we want to approach this along the line? How do we check for, you know, is, is everything going right in the end? I think that would be the idealistic one. This is the idealist speaking. But um, on the other hand, we also have to be really realistic that, uh, I mean, AI is um, is market driven. It's, I mean, it comes from the big tech mainly. And 
in, in the end, it's about money, right? Mm. And I don't, I don't think we have, uh, we're really, I, I really fear that we're talking about all these good and ethics and values and all these things, which are great and super important. But sometimes, uh, I feel like, okay, also it's, like a nice to have thing, right? Yeah. In the end, it's if you think AI is not about prestige, popularity, money, I think that you're an track, idealist, right? Yeah. right? So, and I think this is something we have to accept just because you want to make money, um, you're not bad. So we kind of have to integrate that. But uh, then, especially with the big tech, I mean, there are problems coming up in regards of democracy, et cetera, mm -hmm. that are really affecting us in big time. And this is something we cannot just leave up to big tech. Yeah. And and as you mentioned, we see things every day which are probably a highlight of some of the the larger implications that are possible. Francisca, how do, how do we keep a positive spin on this conversation as far as when, when we think about when we think <laughs> about AI uh, and and we we've watched the movies, we have this this fear, we we see something like a, a big tech uh, having a, a maybe an undue influence on something which we see as important to our society to keep to keep it neutral and to keep it from the people. How do we how do we stay positive in this this process as AI continues to develop? So I think that is a really really tough question about the neutrality or actually creating a positive discourse around it. And I think the way to get there is actually having the discourse and having a critical discourse around it. I think the problem starts if you just put something in front of people and you say kind of like eat or die, this is what it is, take it or leave it. I think that that's where most of the problems are coming from. But I think if you really democratize that process where people can be part of the conversation and we are really getting the, the benefits, the positives, but also the challenges and fears out of that um, and thus once again create a learning system where it grows over time and we as a society shape it together, I think that's the way how we can actually turn that into a positive discourse and turn it into something that actually creates value for people, for me as an individual, for us as teams, um, but also for, for greater society. And, and that I think it's just really, really important um, that we talk about it and we don't just brush it under the table. And, and Uli, you and your team you're working on this challenge from a certain perspective. You're working hard on trying to create guidelines to help a company like Siemens to tackle this today and into the future. What, why is this important and how do you take this first step? How do you go about the process? Um, yeah. <clears throat> so I think in the first place, um, to catch up on, on the, the latter uh, question, um, differentiate between consumer B2C market and the B2B market, yeah. where Siemens maybe is more okay. into the yeah, latter. Definitely. The B2C market is how it's attention and predictable behavior, which sometimes you also say yeah, predictable behavior is some kind of intelligence mm -hmm. um, that we have. But basically, if you drill it down, they draw down your attention time. You have roughly for 40 seconds, mm -hmm. what's your attention span for a certain moment? They're trying to optimize your attention span, these 30 seconds, to the best of the knowledge, sometimes click baiting, sometimes ads, or making some value, maybe money, right, out of that or the advertising. In the B2B market, from a historic perspective, was always about optimizing, gaining efficiency, mm -hmm. productivity out. And I think these are the capabilities also, you know, which we as Siemens see, in, like we have this one-trick pony technology, such as machine learning. They are sometimes marvelous good in certain very narrow down tasks how can we use 
these in what kind of cases and what kind of scenarios. And But we should be aware of that where capabilities are there, there are also some risks. And what we do with a team, a mixture of interdisciplinary team from sustainability office, from technology innovation, from governance affair, from technology geeks as well, right? Um, bringing together and shaping, okay, what are the best practices? What is the context about the capabilities, about the risks, and about the mitigation scenarios? So we can propose and support the contextualization. And we do that on three levels, like rules and governance, means what kind of principles do we want to align? Second, about technology. How do we design technology that supports the trustworthiness, the safeness, the explainable aspects? And the third pillar is about how do we inter-engage, how we engage together um, on technology such as machine learning and AI. What is, what is this? How does it work? How does it impact you? How about the impact on the, on the products? And the last pillar maybe, you know, are we using it for the right problems? And I think this is something where Siemens should be uh, a thought leader and saying, are not the sustainable aspects, these aspects where we can make a difference as an infrastructure provider, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And this is what we, in a, in a broader community, trying to, to establish and to motivate and try and invite everybody <laughs> to join, mm-hmm. uh, right? To shape this discourse. Does it make it much easier when you have a clear goal in mind? When we talk about technology development, you need to have a problem to fix. You need to, to have a really clear understanding of what your, your outcome should be to work towards. Does it make it easier to have these discussions when you have, a, a, let's say, a more focused scope? Yes. We, we define seven capability clusters. And we have now a good guess that this different categories, profiling, process automation, autonomous control, optimization, uh, visual monitoring and those kinds of aspects cover quite some cases, maybe all cases that we see in Siemens at least. Um, and having this categorization saying, okay, what kind of capabilities we are, we can associate best practices to do though. And then it doesn't matter whether it's a building technology, colleague use case, or whether it's an optimization of grids, or whether it's, you know, sensing um, harsh environments in mobility. You have the same set of guidelines, you have the same decision process that you go through to decide, if, is this the right technology yes. and is this the right application of that? And are we, are we convinced that there's a responsible use of this technology in this case? Yeah. And how is the other guys doing that? Um, how do we pre- prevent maybe some kind of aspects where we say like, okay, that's not where we want to stand for? Mm-hmm. May I, may I add just course, maybe yeah. uh, depending on who's listening, I think uh, first of all, Uli said some tremendously important things and um, and the principle that guides uh, their work. And but just to to kind of give of um, um, how do you say to, to put that in relation. So for example, um, Uli mentioned explainability or trustworthiness, and um, just for example, my friend at IBM, she's been working on explainability for five years full time, and there's basically no answer to this. Yeah. I've been working on simply the psychological aspects of trust for two years now, and I'm still nowhere. So, um, just, so these seven or these, these pr- three principles, they are huge. There are thousands of people working on explainability. So just to to put that a little bit in context, how much work is needed to be done and how, first of all, how great that is to 
try to integrate all these, but really thinking about how much work this actually is. And how we're, we're still, even though we have spent so many years and we have so many talented people working on this across different industries and with different backgrounds, we still have a long way to go on this journey. Yes, yes. And as also, as we said, this is, it needs this interdisciplinarity. It needs people coming together. It needs a different mindset to really uh, come out with a best possible solution with the lowest error rate possible. Yeah. I, I love interacting in the, in the lab where we, we somehow test uh, very early prototypes or very early hypotheses to work with young geeks, yeah. actually, because they are not afraid of critical thinking. Yeah. And this kind of mindset of critical thinking mm -hmm. um, and coming from a different realm, maybe not from an industry perspective, not kind of, you know, what kind of view you are, or what kind of, you know, that's not my turf, that's not my problem thing. Yeah. Um, these critical thinking uh, is the young generation enormously uh, valuable. And it shows that, you know, we need to have, get a lot of interdisciplinary folks in that, right? From diversity from all levels. I yeah. mean, from disciplines, uh, from genders, from countries, from language, from all kinds of us, because it contributes towards the notion, how do we want to, you know, design the new places of tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, please. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Critical thinking is, is probably the most important skill of our time and education. So um, I also want to add to this that we also often think that trust means we have to trust this thing fully and just go with it. And that the opposite of trust is skepticism, but that's actually wrong. So trust and skepticism or critical thinking, they're actually dance partners. So you have to use them together to find that appropriate level of trust. We don't want to overtrust things. We don't want to distrust. So we have to find that really good calibrated level of trust to make the best use of out of it. And this will be different for every person. Right? Someone will be happy to to receive an answer from a chatbot, but they would not want uh, a self-driving car as an example. So we have to find those levels of interaction and go from there. That critical thinking, does it become more and more important because we're talking about a technology that has almost an unlimited breadth of application? Um, yes, and certainly because hidden agenda. And I think mostly there's a lot of, you have to make sure that this is not only market driven. And it's really hard to keep in mind that, you know, the, the whole social good and thing. I think, um, this problem with the hidden agenda you mentioned, that's always, or the agenda mustn't be hidden. Um, <laughs> but you all, we all come with perspectives, right? Uli wants, you know, he has his AI lab and they're doing great things. And of, obviously he wants to promote this. I'm coming from a corporate. I'm coming from women AI. I want to promote women. Other want to uh, get uh, funding for their research. Whatever it is, we all have some agenda in our minds. And I think this is nothing bad. It's just the way it is. We have to accept that. Accept that and accept and that when you develop understand how this affects our opinions and what yeah. we say and what information we take in. And this is human, you know, this is, this is just how we are. And with this technology, it has more opportunity for those, those biases to, to actually be brought into that technology, into the application. Yeah, and I think with AI, we're actually talking about a whole other level of technology, right? You can even debate, is it a technology or is it transcending? And thus, it's very, very important is that we level, that, that we really have an interaction that happens at eye level, where everyone can be a part of it and everyone has the same stake at the table. We're, we're coming to the end. We're almost out of time. And before we, we ask for one quick uh, comment from everybody, I just thought, that we'd touch on one more topic and we, we've touched it at different points, but 
why is it different for AI? What is the what is the additional challenge that 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 AI brings for all of these discussions that we haven't had to tackle in the past? I'll start with you, Uli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be happy with yeah, that, right? So, um, in the current hype momentum of, of artificial intelligence, um, we mostly mix aspects from digitalization, you know, so digitized processes, digitized flows, mm -hmm. um, automation, whether it's physical movement, robotics, or process automation, and spawned across the globalization, also a big word, I know, yeah. right? But it means like we, we shuffle the, the value systems, supply chain systems and, and so solutions um, on a broader scale, um, where the input level, the entry level, is in a digitalized world much more easier. Back in the days, it was hard to roll out a system if you're on the hardware driven and you want to cooperate with China, or you want to collaborate with US or in somewhere in Europe, um, right? Now with the digital world, it makes it much more easier um, to expose and provide and certain capabilities. And on a single, three-month venture, startup, or large-scale corporate. And it's triggered by, it's not again about this scale, but about the speed. So it doesn't matter how big you are as a corporate, it's all that matters how fast you are. And that makes the difference. And this has an impact on then the tremendous scope of what perception of AI is. Sometimes I hear C-level saying, yeah, we have this awesome AI case, which is like digitalism of the travel reimbursement belt. All right. That's some more the digitalization aspects. And sometimes it's how you provide these capabilities of assessing your risk to your company. Right? So we have a broad flavor of capabilities of one-trick ponies, which are exposed at a radical scalability. And that brings mixed feelings in there, but also that brings this impactness because we know you can scale as a single person having a huge impact on the global economy. Okay. Francisco, same question. Why is AI different from what we've tackled before? So why is it so different? I think it has a lot to do with uncertainty, right? Oftentimes, if I do not really understand what's behind it, what's actually happening there, it's very, very difficult for me to actually buy into something and, and really adopt it, be have a user or actually be take an active part in, in creating something. And I think here it has to do with probably a very human feeling, which is fear. People are just afraid because we don't know what's the limit, where does it go, um, do I have the, the capacity to, to stop something? And, and thus it, it creates a feeling within me, right, there's something else that's taking over control and it's not another human being, it's technology at its core. And I think that is probably why it's so different and the discourse is so very different than we've encountered with other type of technologies. Marissa? Um, for me, I think, um, well, as we already said, AI has this great impact and AI has a lot of power, et cetera. Um, what concerns me is um, that is AI is mostly driven or situated within the big tech companies, Google, Alibaba, micro, Amazon, et cetera. And so this big, big power is um, located within a very, very few people. So, um, and history has shown that a lot of power not distributed, only distributed to one or two people has never gone very well. So yeah. I think this is one of my greatest concerns. Okay, perfect. So as a last word, thank you all for joining. Uh, if I could get from you a comment, what, what is on the line here? If we, when we talk about 
artificial intelligence, we talk about responsibility and trust and developing both of these hand in hand. What are we risking if we're not successful? Marissa, we'll start with you. A lot. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot. I, I mean, don't you agree? I mean, yeah. I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but um, I mean, uh, AI has the potential to optimize or a lot of things. Whether I, I don't know if any any uh, thing is not cannot is not affected by AI. So. I think also it's also it's making things a lot better. I don't know if there's a superlative, you know, it's mere like it's making better this, it's optimizing that, da 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 da. da. But um, and we're risking a lot if we uh, don't invest in this, and if we don't invest in that responsibly and critically. Yeah, perfect, Francisco. So I think a lot on how we experience it depends on how we experience the the interaction. Um, how is it handled? Is it really a humanized experience? And at that, I think if that is, is right and we are actually operationalizing the right values in terms of fairness, eye level, really having a critical discourse and thus create value for others, um, I think that's how this is going to win and be really truly successful in the way it's applied and can really create benefits for us as a society. So not one directional, not yes. just creating value for the, the controllers of the technology, but also delivering the value to, to all of us to, to justify yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would go for, you know, we're living in a world of exponentially complexity. And as the complexity arises, um, we need tools that help us um, tackling <laughs> humongous, you know, responsibilities and humongous challenges. I think tools such as machine learning can help facilitate to answering a couple of these questions. I'm, I'm looking forward to healthcare. I'm looking forward mm, for energy yeah. distribution. I'm looking for smartness, maybe also in, in pervasive rooms. Um, but I'm, I'm looking for, you know, that we use as a Siemens that for the sustainability. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Marissa? Well said. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Uli, Francisco. Thanks very much. And thank you all for joining us here on Buildings of Tomorrow. Please feel free to like, comment, or share this episode, and also ensure to subscribe to us here on this channel. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>